Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. Well, if you want to have a seat, I'm Pastor Rob, and who are you? Um, Who are you? Who are we? Uh, what's your, uh, you know, you, you, you go by a name, your personality, maybe you're an extrovert, introvert, um, type A person. Who are you? Uh, some people might say they're Hoosiers or Michiganders or uh, Chicagoans. Some people are, you know, maybe they go back to the nationality. I'm an Irish, you know, American, um, you know, whatever your descent is. Um, who are you? What's your personality like? What's your, your birth order? Maybe you think about your identities wrapped into, you know, I'm, a, I'm, the type, I'm a number one, I'm the firstborn, you know, I got the firstborn test tendencies, or thirdborn, you know. Are you more like your mom or dad? Yes. <laughs> you know, is it more um, nature versus nurture? Is it the genetics? Um, who are you? Have you ever done the 23andMe, the genetic testing to kind of map out where you're at? I've never done that. My, my family has, uh, so my parents and and they tell us, oh, yeah, we're, you know, we're, they're tracking down cousins that they don't know. And who are you? Who are you? Uh, genealogy uh, can help us understand who we are in the context of history. There's some value there. I know I'm a European mutt. So like some of you, I'm, I'm a quarter Dutch. And what do you say, Lou? <laughs> That's right. I'm not going to say that from the pulpit, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so you can track yourself with history and the tendencies, you know, I got some German in me, what does that mean, or, you know, Irish. Um, my, my dad is David Nash, and his dad was Floyd Nash, and, or Lowell Nash, and his dad was Floyd Nash, and he's the son of Loring Nash, who's the son of Melissa Hutchinson, so the Nashes went through the Hutchinson line, and she's the daughter of Loring Hutchinson, who was the son of David Hutchinson, son of Alice Williams, daughter of Alice Metcalf, daughter of Joseph Metcalf, son of Alice Bradford, who was the daughter of Major, Major William Bradford Jr., who happened to be the son of a man who in November 11, 1620, gathered a group of people in a boat and they landed on the East Coast uh, known as the Pilgrims. And he came to a new to start a new nation of sorts with freedom and blessing for all people, and it kind of worked out, right? Um, who are you in relation to history? It can help us understand medical history. It can be helpful that way. It can tell us facts. Uh, I know some people are related to famous people um, in our midst. Knowing our ancestry can be helpful. I think in Jesus' day, it was, it was at another level, like, this is just kind of like a hobby. Of my, some of my family have done this, this, this genealogy thing. But in their, level, their day, it really defined whether you're the in-group or the out-group. It really marked you. And it relates to us today. Today, we're starting a sermon series. You might see in the posters uh, about Matthew. We're going to go through Matthew, and we're going to take our time. We're going to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. It's the first book in our New Testament. So you have the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we're going to look at chapter 1, which is the genealogies. We're going to unpack what it means for us 
today in the 21st century. We came up with a, a melodic line, which is another word for main idea. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down. This is the melodic line. It's on our posters. Follow the promised king into his kingdom. Follow the promised king into his kingdom. This book is all about the church following Jesus. Who are you following? We're going to follow Jesus, and we're going to see Jesus, call people to follow Jesus. Now, let's do some just groundwork here as we build this series. Who's, who's the author of Matthew? Matthew. Why do we say that? Because it's the title of the book. Well, why do we say that? Well, maybe the introduction material, the commentator, um, someone else, scholar, some scholar says it. Well, unlike Galatians, which we just finished the series, nowhere in the book will you say this is written by Matthew. Uh, the earliest scholars, um, you know, the writers attribute it right away to Matthew. There's no question about it. They're saying this is written by Matthew. Assuming that's correct, what, uh, who is Matthew? Who do we know he, this man uh, is? And we read about him actually within this text in chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up. We're going to learn he is a tax collector, and he is uh, of the tribe of Levi. Being a tax collector is worse than being a, a, an IRS agent. Now, if you're an IRS agent out there, you know, this is not a slam on you. But back then, it meant not only could you take money for the government, Rome, which was the enemy, you could take a little cut yourself. And it depended on how, you know, you felt that day. And so he was not thought well of by the people. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus encounters him and invites him to follow him. And he will for three years. Let's read about it in chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. And he said, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he, Jesus, heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and, and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Thus Jesus called Matthew to follow, and that's exactly what he did. We know from tradition, Matthew took the good news after Jesus died, rose, and then went to heaven. He took this message and he traveled to an area called Parthia. I might be pronouncing that wrong. That's modern-day Iran. And he shared the gospel, and then he traveled all the way to another area, Ethiopia. And he shared the gospel there. And tradition states there he was killed. Um, I, saw, I read a couple different stories. It, the one, a Fox's Book of Martyrs, says a halibut. He's killed with a halibut for his faith. It's like a big, long spike. Ouch. Matthew followed Jesus. He knows a thing or two about following Jesus. And he shared this gospel, and eventually he wrote it down. Conservative scholars think it was written in the mid-time in the first century. The bottom line is, this is God's inspired word. He's speaking to us 
And so we want to have ears to hear what God has to say. Uh, typically, I have someone read for us. I didn't ask anyone today. Um, does anyone want to volunteer? Okay, we got, just kidding. <laughs> I heard Lou did a really good job in Sunday school. I'm, I'm sad I missed that. Um, it would be kind of cruel because you'd have to pronounce names like this. I, uh, maybe, Lou, you could correct me. Uh, Jeconiah. Um, and then the, here's three I, I picked up for I couldn't pronounce in Matthew chapter 1. Do you have those on the overhead? Yeah, try pronouncing those in your head. Those are pretty tr- tricky. Aren't you glad that your parents didn't name you one of these names in junior high? Like, that would be embarrassing. So Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. We're going to read some of it. Uh, some of these verses, the ones I can pronounce. Uh, no, we're going to read a, a, some of it to get the feel for what it says. Let me encourage you to, to read through it. And, and uh, we kind of been doing this more recent, uh, recently. If you'd stand, if you're able, and not everybody's able to, but stand in honor of God's word. And I'm going to read a few of these verses. Uh, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abram was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Solomon the father of Boaz, this is actually verse 5, Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by wife of Uriah, in verse 16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, every, every word. Um, you the ones we can't pronounce. You are so good to, to speak to us, and we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit you'd speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. You can sit. Uh, if a couple people could volunteer to pray for me while I preach, I'd appreciate it. Um, this is a little tricky, but I think we, we can get something out of here. How did Matthew organize his thoughts? It's pretty clear in these first 17 verses. Verse 1 is an introduction. This is about who? Jesus. This is, this is Jesus' genealogy. I showed you a little bit of my genealogy. This is his genealogy. Verse 2 through 6, part of 6, it tells us about Abraham to King David. 6, if we break it in half, is from David to the deportation or exile. Verse 12 is the deportation to Jesus, to 16. And verse 17 is kind of summarizes there's three sets of 14. Now, studying this, I found something, some fascinating, challenging things, three things that can sidetrack us. So I want to deal with them and then get back to, I think, this is the main point. Three things here. The number, the number of generations, the number of people in this list, the missing kings, and the difference between Matthew and Luke. How do we deal with this? What do I mean? So I went, and I'm like studying this last week on paper, maybe it was a week and a half, and I'm like adding all these names up. Maybe you've done this, maybe you've not. You get 41. So what? What's significant about that? Well, try adding 14 and 14 and 14. Three even numbers. 
If you add any even number with itself, an even number, you're only going to get even numbers. You shouldn't get a 41. You shouldn't get an odd number. What's going on? So we got a problem here. It should be 42. Well, there's a number of different solutions, and I'll, I'll tell you a couple different solutions. The other issue is there's some missing kinks. If you go to Chronicles, um, I, I can't remember, there, there may be another book you, you go to, but I, I think it's Chronicles is one of them, where it lists the different you know, genealogies, you're missing some kinks here. We'll get to, like, how do, you, how do you reconcile that? And then Luke is different than Matthew when they do genealogy. So what do we do with that? I, I don't want to sidetrack this. I, I think Matthew has a point, so let me go into this. Um, first, the, the 41 names. So some would say, we'll count David twice. He's in verse 6. If you count him twice, David's key here. He's mentioned multiple times. Not everybody's mentioned multiple times. David's mentioned in the beginning, in the end, in the middle. If you count him twice, you get 42. I've heard people say, count Jesus twice. It's interesting, another uh, uh, solution um, is, uh, let's see here. Did I say that? In verse 11, Josiah... Um, there's a king missing after Josiah by the name of Jehoiakim. And he was a puppet king under Egypt. So they put up this puppet king. So I think to get at what is, David, uh, what is Matthew doing, we have to get at what is his point. It's going to reconcile. It's still God's word, but what's his point? What is he getting at? So it's a little different than the, the genealogy I presented at the beginning. Uh, how do you deal with these other kings? So there are these missing kings. Um, in verse 8, Joram, there's a king Joram. There's three kings missing, according to Chronicles. At, I'm going to slaughter this name. Ahaziah, Joash, and Amaziah. Okay? There's, there's three missing kings there. Why are they missing? Well, I found this fascinating. There is a, the Gospel Coalition did a blog post quoting, so contemporary scholars quoting someone from ancient times. This guy named Hilary Poitier. He was a bishop who, for his faith, was persecuted and sent in exile to an area west of Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. He is in, basically in lockdown, and he writes a commentary on Matthew. And he deals with this, this so well that we quote it today. Here's how, what he says. This is in translation. The three missing kings. This was done in this way because Joram, the one in our verses, had Ahaziah from a pagan woman, that is, the household of Ahab. And it was declared by the prophet, in 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 30, that not until the fourth generation would anyone from the household of Ahab sit on the throne of the kingdom of Israel. And Judah, for that matter. By removing this disgrace of a pagan family, by bypassing its ancestry, here's why Matthew does this according to Hilary of Poitiers, a royal origin of those who follow in the fourth generation is counted. The royalty is counted. Royalty. What is Matthew getting at? He is trying to prove a point. And so different than what we might look here just by like, I'm just, it's a list of names. That's all it is. It's just a list. Of, no, it's not just a list of names. There's a point here. And, and how do we deal with how do we deal with this Luke and Matthew discrepancy? And maybe you've heard this. This is pretty common. You'll notice this talks about Joseph. Jesus is a son of who? Mary. 
Okay, this scholars think is a line. Uh, this is this is tracking, and Matthew is tracking Joseph's royal legal line. Okay, the line from Joseph to David to David to Abraham. It's it's a legal document proving this descendancy from David. Whereas in Luke, it's more of a family history from Adam. They think through Mary. Okay, what's the point? I was looking at this, trying to think, okay, so what are you getting at, Matthew? What are you getting at? And this is what I came up with, and I write this down. Uh, if you have a pen on paper, Jewish history has pointed to a coming king, and that will bless all people, and that king is Jesus. Jewish history has pointed to a coming king that will bless all people, and that king is Jesus. These verses are like a treasure map. Uh, unlocking all these memories for the Jewish people, and it's pointing in a direction, and that direction is Jesus. Let's go, to, let's go dig in verse 1. And I'm not going to hit all these verses. So, But verse 1, I think there's just a treasure trove of information here. Verse 1, the book of the genealogy. This is interesting. In Greek, the book, Biblos, genealogy, geneseos, or geneseos, the word geneseos means genealogy. Biblos is the book. It's the same root word we get for genesis. And you might hear that with a soft G is genesis. It's just using a different form. One's nominative, one's genitive. Genealogy organizes the book of Genesis. So when you go to Genesis, you see it's the genealogy of the creation of the earth. It's the genealogy of Noah. It's the genealogy of Abraham. Here, it's the genealogy of Jesus. And how fitting then that Matthew begins our New Testament. The book of the genealogy. Jewish history, remember, Jewish history has pointed to a coming king that will bless all people, and that king is Jesus. That's not all we discover in, first verse, in the first verse. So look at verse, the first verse of ch chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. The word Christ is not his last name. It is his title. And what does that mean? It means anointed one. In the Jewish culture, they would anoint the kings. You might remember uh, prophets coming and anointing heads with oil. They anointed the king's with oil. And the Jews believe that, and some still do, that a king will come out of the line of David and reign victoriously, messianically. And David uh, is given this promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. We'll have it on the screen up here. And we can hear what God says to David, a promise, a covenant promise, right now, 2 Samuel verse, chapter 7, verse 12. When your days are fulfilled, you will lie down with your fathers, and I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When David died, God promised to raise up a descendant who would establish the, this royal throne forever. And Solomon wasn't him, was he? Rehoboam wasn't him. 
Abijah wasn't him. Asaph wasn't him. Jehoshaphat wasn't him. Joram wasn't him. Uzziah wasn't him. Jotham wasn't him. Ahaz wasn't him. Now, Hezekiah was a good king, but he wasn't the guy. Manasseh was an evil dude. Amos wasn't him. Josiah wasn't him. Jeconiah wasn't him. And God sent them off at that point. This descendant's going to build a temple, a house, a kingdom that would not end. Never. And God was going to be a father to him. And the time had come. The king was coming into his kingdom. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Let's keep digging. Look at verse 1 again. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. For Jesus to be the promised one, this Christ, he would have to be an ancestor, a legal ancestor of David. And verse 1 tells us he was. Matthew is going to prove this with over two dozen witnesses. What I did is I just searched the words king and David And I could search some others, but I came up with over two different references in Matthew itself. Chapter 1, verse 20, an angel appears to Joseph and calls Joseph, Jesus' stepdad, a son of David. In chapter 2, verse verse 1, several wise men come from to Jerusalem and ask King Herod, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? In Chapter 2, verse 4, King Herod gets you know, word about this competing king, right? And he talks to the scribes and Pharisees, or scribes and priests, chief priests. And he hears that the king is going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. They get this based on a proclamation of a prophet 400, 500 years before, Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. In Matthew 29, 27, two blind men call out to Jesus for mercy as the son of David. In chapter 11, verse 2, in the prison of Herod Antipas, that's Herod the Great's son, John the Baptist is waiting in jail, waiting for you know, his, his time for whatever, and he hears this rumor from the rumor mill that Jesus is the Christ. So he sends his disciples, hey, are you the Christ? And Jesus gives some degree of confirmation, as Jesus kind of does in his way. In chapter 11, verse 2, in chapter 11. In chapter 15, 22, a Canaanite woman appears to Jesus and calls him the son of David and asks for mercy on her demon-possessed daughter. In chapter 16, verse 16, Jesus said that God the Father revealed to Simon Peter this truth. What was that? That you are the Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus then affirms this a few verses later. Chapter 20, verse 30, two more blind men repeatedly call Jesus the son of David and the Lord when he's passing by on the road. In chapter 21, verse 15, Jesus is in Jerusalem and children are calling out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Matthew 21, verse 15. And finally, the Pharisees, they aren't going to tell you that Jesus is the Messiah, but they will say, that the Christ would be a descendant of David in chapter 22, verse 42. So the evidence is overwhelming in Matthew that the Christ, the anointed one, is a descendant of David, and Jesus is that Christ in question. 
This is just verse one again in Matthew chapter one. And we're going to dig a little bit more. He's not only a son of David, he also is a son of who? Who else is he a son of? According to chapter one, verse one. Abraham, that's right. Why does he say that? What is significant about Abraham? So what connects David and Abraham? Both of them have a profound encounter with the living God. Both are given something. They're given a, a, a promise and a, a picture of something in the future. In Genesis chapter 12, so this is what the Jewish reader is hearing. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, they hear this. God appears to Abraham and he says this, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. So you will be a, a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. If you remember, Abraham has how many kids with Sarah? One. Not a nation. Not a millions. And he's a wealthy guy. He's a really wealthy guy. But is he, does he have a country? No. God is promising something that will not happen in his lifetime. That down the road, there's a reality that from his progeny, his descendants, there is one who will reign, who will have a nation, who will bless all people. A descendant, his name is Jesus. All the nations, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And out of his work, out of what he does, it will result in a new royal nation, a holy people of God's possession who will proclaim the excellencies of him who calls that people out of the darkness into his marvelous light. We will discover more about Jesus' purpose in the coming weeks. In short, he came, he was born to die. He came to, we'll see this next week, he came to save his people from their sin. The fact is, Jesus was a son of Abraham and a son of David and was a fulfillment of covenant promises. He was the one who would reverse the curse and bless all people and become a king of kings and lord of lords. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, including all of us here and all of those in New Buffalo and the surrounding area. In the meantime, when Abraham hears this in Genesis chapter 12, he has to wait. And he's accustomed to waiting. And in the meantime, when David hears this blessing of one who will come after him, he has to wait. The prophets and the people had to wait for God to be faithful and to complete his word. And over the years and decades, century and millennia, people waited. And some just got sick of waiting. They saw what everyone else was doing, what everyone else was into, and they abandoned their faith. They fell away and gave up. And God gave them over to their desires and deported them. But he didn't abandon them, not altogether. He patiently bided his time for the planned opportunity to bring a Savior into the world. Thus, in this one verse, this one verse, there's a pregnant hope realized in one name. What name is that? Jesus. Through, all the family, through Jesus, all the families of the earth will be blessed. 
Now, not everyone accepts this or receives this, but for those who do, they're welcome the same. We see God's gracious nature and his nature and his desire to reach all nations and even the people he chooses to select for his genealogy, this foretaste of this invitation. You see, in the genealogy, we see men and women. He didn't have to put the women in there. The genealogy would operate the same. He has Jews and Gentiles. There's those who are deemed good and those who are deemed wicked. In the genealogy of this masculine culture, there's five women that stand out. Um, and uh, they're not all Jewish. You have Tamar, who is a Canaanite, who through the sin of her husband or partner and her own self, she continues to line with twins. Rahab was a Canaanite who lied to save the Israelite people and prostituted herself by trade. Ruth was a Moabite who converted to Judaism. And Bathsheba was not mentioned in the genealogy except that it's the wife of Uriah. And Uriah was of what tribe? Well, he wasn't of a tribe. He was a Hittite. And his, their son, the wife's son, came not out of Uriah, but who? King David, the adulterer and murderer. This line concludes, the, the whole genealogy concludes, it wraps up with this teenage nobody named Mary. God brings something out of nothing. He brings beauty out of ashes. The Jewish history went through ups and downs, mostly downs. It begins with, you know, it begins in this genealogy with the covenant blessing to Abraham. It's this beautiful thing, right? But then they go off and they have 400 years of slavery in Egypt. God frees the people with Moses of, of their slavery, but then they spend 40 years in the wilderness. They come to the promised land. And then it's time of judges and people do what's right in their own eyes. And the, the cycle of oppression and destruction. And the people want a king. They, they demand a king. We need a king. And they get a king. And God deposes the king. They get King, king David. King David, you as this united kingdom. But what happens after that? The kingdom divides. And you have bad king after bad king. And there's a good king here or there, but a bad king. And eventually the people see the destruction of the temple and the exile. And they, 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 they actually have an experience of 400 years of silence from Micah to Matthew. And they're longing, waiting for relief. And maybe you wait for relief. Answered prayers. They're longing for hope. They're longing for freedom. They're longing for victory. They're longing for help. And maybe there's a part of you that's like, I can, I can connect with that. And it's at this stage that Jesus comes into history. And we see in Matthew, his life begins with a scandal. A teenage pregnancy, angelic visions, a small town, mass murder, no-name fishermen, ragtag followers, and then it unfurls like a flower, a summer flower showing miraculous power and complexity and the wisdom of God. And then it ends, Matthew ends with a surprising twist, the death of Jesus. But then the resurrection and the redemption and this commission to tell the world about this blessing to all people. This is a remarkable book. And, I, and I'm, I'm trying to think, what does this have for us? What does the genealogy teach us? 
I think it calls us to worship. It calls us to praise. It calls us to believe. We serve a God who cares so much that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. He came, he lived, he died, he rose on your behalf and my behalf. This king fulfills his promise and blesses all nations, and he actually blesses us who believe. This is Matthew's point. Jewish history has pointed to a coming king that will bless all people, and his name is Jesus. And if you haven't believed it, believe it. It's good news. Are you blessed? Amazingly, we can become a part of God's family tree through Jesus. We can be a son and daughter of God, brother of Christ by faith through grace. So you may not be related to anyone famous. We don't need to be jealous of people's family connections because we have the best connection ever possible. In the history of time, there's been no one greater than Jesus. And you can be related to him through faith in Christ, the greatest man ever to have lived. Who are you? By faith, you can be his. You can be God's child adopted into his family. Your identity can be in Christ, wrapped in who he is, what he's about. As you follow him, as you believe in him, we're going to talk about this. We've moved on from Galatians, but we can't totally move on. Galatians chapter 4 says this. I'm going to conclude. But when the fullness of time had come, you see, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law. Why? It's to redeem those who were under the law. Why? So that we, we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're a son, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. We're no longer slaves to sin, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We are blessed, church, through faith, by grace. Isn't that amazing? Let us praise God for this. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, We can call you Father. We can call you, legitimately call you Father because Jesus is, is going to do something in Matthew that has never happened in the history of humanity. He is going to live a perfect life, die a sinner's death, and arise victoriously. And he promises to save us from our sins. I thank you that, that you do that. That all those things that haunt us, those things that we're embarrassed about, that we feel shame over, we don't have to. We can throw them at the cross and proclaim that you are the Savior of the world, of all who will believe, not just the Jews, not just the men, not just the old, but the young and old, men and women, Jews and Gentiles, you are the Savior of all. You are our Savior. You are our Father. We praise you in Jesus' name and ask you to continue to move in us by the power of your spirit. Amen.
We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.